Welcome back to South Florida Sunday. Sharina with you. And today I am joined by Mark Gibber, an MD with Baptist Health. And today we're going to talk about heart health. Thank you for joining the show today, Dr. Gibber. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, everyone knows that February is National Heart Month. But in your opinion, what does it mean to be heart healthy? Great. That's a great question. Um, To me, being heart healthy takes multiple different avenues. Uh, Number one, I think of eating healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, exercise, keeping our weight at the appropriate amount, and then controlling for other secondhand things that will disrupt our heart health, such as smoking or secondhand smoke, and keeping our blood pressure and our cholesterol under control. We are seeing an uptick in heart disease. Um, why do you think that is? Unfortunately, I think we're seeing an uptick in unhealthy living, um, including increase in obesity, Mm. increase in unhealthy eating, inactivity. And unfortunately, we've seen an uptick in smoking as well. I think these are all contributing to more heart disease in our country. Yes. And speaking of being sedentary and not having very great uh, habits when it comes to the foods that we eat, are you seeing a lot more heart disease in younger patients? Yeah, unfortunately, over the last several years, uh, we definitely have seen younger and younger patients. I used to think about heart disease in parents and grandparents' age, but uh, we're seeing them even younger than that now, and I think it has to do with how we eat and our activities. Right. And what about having good blood pressure? How is that important to your overall health? Yeah, so we know that people that have high blood pressure, they have an increased risk of um, heart attack, heart failure, stroke, and kidney disease. We think this has a strain on the heart and the blood vessels, which is worsening um, heart disease. Oh, wow. What are some of the signs and symptoms of like a heart attack? Um, They usually vary between men and women. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, The most common signs and symptoms is actually similar between men and women, which is chest pain or chest discomfort. But women, uh, we know, have what we call abnormal or atypical symptoms from having heart disease, including shortness of breath. Sometimes they have nausea or vomiting. Um, Sometimes you think of it as heart reflux disease or even back or jaw pain. Yeah, I heard that um, like in men, the pain is kind of like more pronounced, but in women, you can kind of just like write it off as something else like indigestion or something. That's correct. I think we see a lot of people that after a while, they say they have indigestion or heartburn. I tell people heartburn is exactly that, actually the heart burning, not the reflux that we think of. But yeah, women, um, people that have diabetes, and these are some of the patient population that we know have atypical symptoms that we don't think of right away related to the heart. It is the heart screaming out that it needs somebody to pay attention to it. Okay, so let's talk about if you're having these symptoms but you do nothing about it. What could happen? Yeah, we think of heart disease as something that over years and years develops. It's not typically something that a person is 100% normal and then completely has issues. But we don't typically have signs or symptoms of that until it hits some critical point. Mm -hmm. And that critical point will develop Uh, differently in different people. When I talk to patients and they think they're young or they think they're old or the biggest thing I would say is important is genetics. But unfortunately, we can't change our genes. The things that we can change is our eating, our activity, whether we smoke, keep our blood pressure, cholesterol, 
how much we drink or manage stress, these things, if we manage them well, we can push out our disease. So patients that have their family members have heart disease, maybe they'll take 10 years longer if they manage well and they won't have it for, for an extended time. Or uh, if they don't manage those things well, they can see it earlier. So we have to be able to manage the things that we can manage and understand there are things that play in the background that we aren't able to manage. Yeah, and also like just being knowledgeable about your health. A lot of people, you know, they skip going to the doctor, they skip those checkups, and they don't know what's going on with their body until it is at a critical point. So like, you know, keeping up with your health is important too. And also stick on a regimen. We hear a lot of times that, oh, I felt fine, so I stopped doing something. I stopped taking my medicine or I stopped uh staying on a regimen because I felt fine. And the last thing we want is patients to come and see us because they're not doing well. Right. When patients aren't doing well, we're sometimes too late to either intervene or intervene where it will have the greatest effect. We like to see patients that kept on their medicines, exercise, eat well, and are asymptomatic or don't have any of the diseases. If we pick them up earlier, then they stay on their normal life expectancy. That's amazing. Uh, so let's talk about procedure. What is the most common procedure that you perform when you are when it comes to heart surgery? So the most common procedure that we perform in heart surgery is what we call a bypass surgery, or known colloquially as a cabbage, a coronary artery bypass graft. This has to do with the arteries of the heart getting obstructed or blocked. And we have to reroute the blood system to be able to allow our heart continue to pump appropriately. After a bypass, we have the valves. The most common valve that we intervene on is the aortic valve or the last valve of the heart. And then less commonly, though still the, probably the third most common, is the mitral valve. We see people that have their valve is leaky, and so we have to repair or replace those valves. And with all of these procedures, it's pretty much outpatient, right, because of all the developments that have happened over the years with heart health? So uh, still for the open, for the bypass surgery or even for the surgical valves that we repair, um, patients are in the hospital for uh, four to five days. Um, there are opportunities for what we call percutaneous valves. Patients will stay in the hospital for 24 hours if they are an appropriate patient for those type of procedures. But thinking about like, you know, back in the day where people were in the hospital for months after, you know, sure. four or five days is, is almost nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't too long ago that people had their gallbladder taken out and needed to be in the hospital for a month. So yeah. medicine and technology has definitely progressed where open heart surgery, the risks are even for the biggest operations we do, the risk is around 2% for not making it out of the hospital. Still 98% of patients, even though it's a really big procedure, um, they still should be able to get back to their activities of daily living, not just safer and healthier, but they'll feel better doing it. Yes, exactly. And then speaking of technology, the new thing everyone is talking about is AI. Um, how has that played a role when it comes to like the way that we treat uh, heart patients? That's a great question. I think AI is definitely the newest form of technology that's being introduced into medicine. I think though we have to think about how do we define um, artificial intelligence. It wasn't too long ago that doctors would just write notes on a piece of paper, mm -hmm. and now we have computers that are help managing us. People think about robotic surgery. Robotics are um, just an extension of our hands, so that's the next area of technology. The imaging 
um, is getting better and better. We don't really have artificial intelligence per se in heart surgery, but there are certain things that are developing that we're hoping that will help us define even some of the imaging technology to tell us, is this something that we have to fix or is this something that we don't have to fix? Is this a patient that we have to be worried about? It's really data mining and understanding what it is, using the computers to think, essentially, and tell, help us treat each of the patients. And I think that's where uh, healthcare and technology and artificial intelligence are heading. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what do you think about the next 10 years? Yeah, AI is definitely on the rise, and I definitely think it's going to help, even if it's just like taking the load off of paperwork for you guys, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think um, artificial intelligence, I think not just will be helping the, the physicians, I think it'll help with the patient care. There's so much information, and everybody is so different um, that we try and find the best box to put people in to mm-hmm. how to treat them. But I think the artificial intelligence may be able to help us define who are the best patients that we just, you know, treat um, medically with medications, who needs some procedure, who need a, a larger surgery, what type of surgery is best suited for that particular patient. And I think that's where artificial intelligence technology is going to help us in the medical arena. Yes, exactly. So when should a patient uh, consult a doctor about their heart health? That's a great question. So I think it's always important to discuss one's health um, and heart health with their physician every time they see their physician, kind of updating them on how they feel, uh, what's going on, what they're doing in terms of medications, exercise, their weight, um, all the other things that we talked about. But also, if there's anything that changes between the normal consultations with physicians, they should always feel comfortable bringing those things up and, and making a new appointment if there is a change. Because we don't want to see the patients for the first time when they're having really bad symptoms. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for all your time today, Dr. Gibber. How can listeners uh, learn more about Baptist Health and get in touch with your office? Sure. Uh, they can go online at baptisthealth.net, um, and they can get in touch with my office. The office number is 561-955-6300.